it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to have be joined by uh, General Philip Breedlove in a matter of moments uh, and Dave McCormick, who wants to replace Pat Toomey as the next senator from Pennsylvania. So uh, General Breedlove, as you know, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO and distinguished chair at the Middle East Institute. Man, we have a lot to discuss uh, and uh, we have a lot to get to you, too. So listen, uh, get on the phone. Uh, first come, first serve. 1-866-408-7669. Uh, Will, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think what we're really seeing is actually an end of the momentum that Russia may have achieved in the south and southeast and the beginning of some momentum for Ukrainian forces as the enormous amount of weapon systems, ammunition, making their weight felt. That is, uh, as you probably recognize, uh, General David Petraeus feeling optimistic with New Kavuta yesterday. Some are not as optimistic. They still want the country, despite the economy and their leader falling apart. I'm talking about Russia. And yes, uh, and their goals in Ukraine is, well, to take over Ukraine. Still, I don't know how they do it, but that is what intelligence is saying. Meanwhile, the President Putin is somebody who missed his beloved hockey game, even though he's in the neighboring town. That fuels people's speculation that he is not well. Number two. The bill we have today to vote on, it is not Roe v. Wade codification. It's an expansion. It wipes 500, 500 state laws off the books. It expands abortion. And with that, that's not where we are today. We should not be dividing this country further than we're already divided. Uh, that is Joe Manchin. He is out. Dems' show vote fails on abortion rights as it becomes clear the Dems what uh, this mid- they want this as a midterm issue. And Supreme Court justices have an issue, too, with their own personal security as weeks go by and they have been harassed consistently. Number one. Remember those long lines you'd see in a television? People lining up in all kinds of vehicles just to get a box of food. How quickly we forget people were hurting. And what did the MAGA crowd want to do? Forget it. What is he even talking about? He doesn't even sound sober. Getting worse. Just about everything we buy costs more. Baby formula is weeks away from your shelves. And President Biden heckles Donald Trump about pandemic lines and blames Vladimir Putin. And his press secretary finds it all so funny. Bizarre. But let's talk about what's happening in the war in Ukraine. We gave uh, $39 billion cat out of the House. It's going to get okayed by the Senate, and it's going to be heading to the Ukraine. Man, I hope they're spending it right. Retired General Philip Breedlove joins us now. General, how would you characterize things on the ground right now in Ukraine? Well, the, thanks for having me on the show again, Brian. Um, the, the good news is that uh, the Ukrainians are making some headway in some of their counterattacks in the north. But the Russians are continuing to slowly and incrementally add to their positions in the east and the south, which are going to be 
you know, tough to dislodge if and when the time comes for that. And as you also have heard, they're starting some of their political work to try to get to a situation where they can now uh, annex uh, or or bring aboard portions of the recently gained parts of South and East Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, the Kyrgyzstan, they said they want to be annexed. Evidently, they, their new government that they put in play uh, was the first town they took. They just said, just annex us. We know about uh, Mariupol. We know that's going to be a tra- problem. We know that Odessa is being rocketed regularly. And these are these are uh, resource-rich areas. So the question is, from what you see, do the Ukrainians have the force to really get a run about getting those towns back like they did in Kharkiv? So I think the answer is yes, but this is not something that we should you know, start to celebrate. Um, If they continue to have the successes in the north and they are now bringing aboard more of this Western equipment and they are building a capability with that equipment to to either throw into the fight in the east or to save and use as that force that would be a reclaiming force once they get to that part of the war, a counterattacking force. The concern there, of course, is, and and the Ukrainian military completely understands this. As you know, Brian, we like to say that if you're on the offense, you need three to one more forces than the defense. And that's what's been hurting Russia so much uh, in this fight so far. They they have, have not had that attacking force in some places, and the Ukrainians have done a good job. But now when Ukraine switches around and goes to the offense, that burden will fall on them. And and really that's going to be relatively determinant is how they build that capability to get the force to attack, to reclaim land. So I understand that uh, Russia privately admits its economy is facing the biggest challenge in 30 years. Their finance minister is predicting a 12 percent collapse in its GDP, the deepest since 1994 when Russia was trying um, uh, uh, helplessly to become a capitalist country under Boris Yeltsin. So does time no longer on their side? Well, I think you've hit some really important points there. First of all, uh, while I've been a bit critical of uh, sanctions because they have actually never changed Mr. Putin's uh, behavior, What they are doing is hurting his economy. And yes, the sort of resiliency of the Russian economy is in doubt, and the capability to to sustain this long, costly war is also uh, coming into doubt. And I think that that is going to be a dynamic that Mr. Putin is going to have to deal with. Not only that, but what goes on at home because of you know, these economic problems. I think you have probably heard that there may be even a consideration that Mr. Putin, you know, declares martial law in in Russia to support his war. And that's all about the problems you just identified. Yeah, but he said that he's got to have a national conscription and people have said, okay, good. Then you go to a bunch of people who don't have no interest in becoming soldiers, being trained by people. They don't have enough trainers. So they got to train the trainers to train the rest of the country to take over another country. And that would make the whole country at war, which would, which would risk the popularity of this war, correct? 
I think it would. I think that uh, um, he already has a problem with this war at home. You know, the polling says that the people support it. But let's just, Brian, take it this way. If you were a Russian and you got a call from the government and the government asks you, do you support this war or not support this war, how do you think you're going to answer? Yeah, of course. Uh, I get it. Of course. So I'm not sure that the polling really indicates what's going on there. And what I do know is that in the 14 episodes of Russia invading uh, Ukraine, when I was the SACUR, it was very clear that the groups that we sort of loosely called the moms in Moscow began to organize deeply when they started understanding how many of their soldiers were not coming home. And that really has not played out yet in, in Russia. Mr. Putin has masked that, uh, and he has to face that yet to come. I want you to hear what General David Petraeus is. Uh, You know, he's the expert. I get it. But he sounds, to me, more optimistic than I've been hearing others who are in the region. Cut 28. There's a counteroffensive ongoing to the east of Kharkiv. Again, it's uh, the second largest city in all of Ukraine. And they've driven the forces, as he noted, uh, Mm -hmm. of Russia all the way across the border in some locations. And that could actually threaten the logistical lines of communication that are supporting the offensive in the east. So that's a problem for Russia. They're having to reposition forces there. I think what we're really seeing is actually an end of the momentum that Russia may have achieved in the south and southeast uh, and the beginning of some momentum for Ukrainian forces as the enormous amount of weapon systems, ammunition, uh, other supplies and so forth are making their weight felt. Well, wow. so how do you feel about what he's assessed? So, so I, I uh, you know, he and I talk all the time, and uh, I agree with much of what he said. What has happened in the North is that that uh, counterattack is threatening one of the lines of supply into the larger Eastern fight. So Russia is going to have to pull forces off the fight to shore that up and to work those issues and and the Ukrainians are doing a great job there, and it is going to cause Russia problems. Um, uh, I think that the uh, part that is discouraging, and I think that David would agree, is that we may see at some point now Mr. Putin decide, hey, I'm not going to be able to take more. Let's stop now and start suing for peace with what we have grabbed and, and sort of uh, getting this movement in Kharkiv to, to be annexed and it, with finally finishing off Mariupol, if and when that happens, he can say, I have, I have got the land bridge. That was my you know, objective all along. And he can sort of build himself into a victory and start suing for the land. And that, I think, is going to be a big problem for the West to handle is – how do we move forward, you know, with a peace process whereby Zelensky is going to be completely unsatisfied? Understood, because it's costing us a lot of money. I mean, at a time in which America is uh, scrounging around for baby formula and we're, we're paying so much more for oil and gas and you can't get wheat out, which means grain out to Africa. And they're going to be dealing with uh, maybe massive starvation because the Russians have blockaded the port. There's going to be external forces that could force an unhappy peace uh, in the area. But right now, there's no sense to talk. One thing is pretty clear. 
that uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, his reputation is destroyed. His country's military reputation is sullied big time. And now we understand his greatest fear is taking place. NATO's expanding to his borders. Finland will officially apply to be a member of NATO today. Uh, and they'll ask, um, they'll ask for membership. Sweden will be right behind. And now the Russians have said Finland's entry into NATO will become a threat to Russia, according to Dmitry Peskov. The next expansion of NATO does not make our continent more stable and secure. Of course, all this will become elements for a special analysis and development of necessary measures in order to balance the situation and ensure our security. So they're not happy. How do you feel about it? Well, I, I think that, <clears throat> first of all, let's celebrate something that's really important. Finland is an incredible military, and Sweden, I hope, to follow. We have done so much with these guys in the past uh, several decades. They exercise with us at an extremely high level. Their, uh, their capability to, to interact with all of our uh, systems and radios, um, um, meaning a word we use a lot, interoperability, is extremely high. They're using, uh, in many cases, much of their equipment is American-made. Uh, although not all of it, but this, these are nations that militarily will will be incorporated immediately. There is really almost no work to do for them to get ready to be a part of NATO. In fact, I say this with all due respect for some of our newer, older, newer uh, NATO nations that came from the Warsaw Pact. They still struggle with some of their interoperability because they're still flying MiGs and other things in their military. But Finland and Sweden is completely different. They will be immediately apart. So let's celebrate that. I understand. And yeah. Yeah. General the Breedlove, but the other thing that people, that, and I'm all for it, but they're going to say the Russians are going to move missiles to their border because they looked at Finland as a threat to their border. They're hardly in position now to open up another front. They can't handle this one. But uh, long term, They knew the pluses and minuses to this, and now finally, after decades, they'd rather be uh, under Article 5, where one is attacked, everybody responds. Yes, of course, this is something that we had hoped, uh, at least I can, I can only speak for myself, many of us had hoped they had made these decisions in years past. And I think they, uh, they worked with us in order to sort of enjoy the ability to fight with us if they had to, yeah. but they like their neutrality. But I tell you that I think one of the one of the results of our NATO alliance saying we will de- we will defend every inch of NATO, meaning we're not going to defend those that are out, uh, has has caused pause in these nations like Finland and Sweden. And even you heard the other day rumors that the Swiss were talking about some sort of association. That is amazing to me, and and I don't think it has gone very far. But the fact of the matter is, this is exactly what Mr. Putin didn't want, and it's a part of his poor uh, thinking this problem through. He's driving more nations towards NATO rather than breaking apart NATO. Right, but I hear there is stress because Italy and Germany want to start talking peace, and we don't think this would be a good time to do it. Would you say that's correct, General Breedlove? Yeah, I well, I think that what we have to understand is peace 
here has to be in the eyes of Ukraine and, and President Zelensky. What I can clearly say to you is my opinion is we in the West should not be forcing the terms of peace on President Zelensky and especially on his military who have fought so bravely alone. Let me say that one more time, alone on the battlefield. And so um, we need to understand in the West that peace has to be in the terms of Ukraine and President Zelensky and not something we would issue them to conveniently end a, a conflict. I hear Does you. that make sense, Brian? Yeah, but we have the, you know, like guys like us, uh, especially us, if we decided we're not paying, we're not writing any more checks, that would force them to the table maybe prematurely. I get it. Um, it's uh, retired General Philip Breedlove. Uh, it's an important time in European history, maybe the most important time uh, since World War II, and we're watching it unfold before our eyes. A former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Thanks so much, General. Thank you. Good to talk to you again. Same here. one 408 I'll come back with your calls. Then I'll welcome in David McCormick fighting hard to be the Republican nominee in Pennsylvania. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. My Republican colleagues say these programs to help the working class and middle class people. That's they say that's why we have inflation. They're dead wrong. Under my predecessor, the great MAGA king, the deficit increased every single year he was president. Was even talking about no one's even talking about uh, deficits. They said what you're talking about when the pandemic first hit and they told everyone uh, two weeks or 10 days to stop the spread. They had to suspend the entire economy. Got it. These were workable deficits where the country uh, had hitting in high gear inflation at one point seven percent unemployment, just about three percent with a growth about between two and three percent completing trade deal after trade deal. And he's pointing out to some lines that were in Texas and saying, I can't believe this is the United States of America. Yeah, every hundred years when we get a pandemic, we might have to consolidate and hand out food. Nothing to do with your $1.9 trillion rescue plan that two liberal uh, treasury experts said, secretary said, totally unnecessary. And you kept printing money, and now you want to blame other people. Joe Biden, thanks. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Barnett has tag-teamed now with Doug Mastriano. He's running for governor in Pennsylvania, and the two of them are, I guess, what President Biden today 
likes to talk of ultra MAGA. So there's a lot going on within conservative quarters in Republican areas of Pennsylvania. But anybody who says they know what's about to happen, I think is lying. That is Michael Smirkanish on another network trying to predict what's going to happen. One of the most intriguing races in the primary season. It is happening in Pennsylvania. Oh, a big race to replace Pat Toomey. Uh, Dr. Oz with President Trump's endorsement on the latest Fox News poll has uh, 22 percent uh, of the vote. McCormick, 20 and Barnett, uh, 19. And she's somewhat on the march. The Trafalgar, the, the Trafalgar poll Easy for me to say. Dr. Oz has 24 to Barnett's 23 to McCormick's 21. What does Dave McCormick think about that as he has had a, a rich history? West Point grads, a former uh, undersecretary of Treasury for International Affairs under George W. Bush. Dave McCormick, welcome back. Hey, good morning, Brian. How are you? Good. Backstretch. You glad it's almost over either way? <laughs> well, it's been uh, it's been a heck of an experience and I'm sprinting down down the final stretch here and, uh, you know, cramming as many events a a day as I can. I I did, I think, six or seven events yesterday and just trying to make sure I'm touching key people across Pennsylvania and going to diners and fire halls and VFWs. And, uh, you know, honestly, it feels great on the ground. People are focused on the race now. They, I think they're recognizing the stakes are so high. There's at least 20% of the voters that are undecided, uh, you know, the race is within the margin of error. And so it's going to be a photo finish. And I think the, uh, you know, people are asking themselves three questions. A, who's got the values, the conservative principles that line up with who we are as Pennsylvanians and Pennsylvania conservatives? Who can win the general election? Because the stakes of this are so high, Brian. We've seen what the extreme left can do. We've seen what Biden and Pelosi and Schumer can do for our country. They're taking it in a terrible direction. People feel that. They're angry. So who can win and beat John Fetterman, who's the likely Democratic nominee? And then who can go to Washington and, and hit the ground on day one with all these you know, incredible challenges we have with our country? Inflation, the energy crisis, Ukraine, China, uh, you know, the open border policies of Joe Biden, which have created a fentanyl crisis in Pennsylvania. And so that's, the, that's where the race is, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think the, your, the uh, clip you played is true. It's, uh, no one can predict where it is right now. I'm optimistic. My message seems to be resonating, and I'm, I'm going to sprint till the end. Yeah, I want you to hear, this. as you know, the number one story is the economy that could play to your advantage because you got this rich economic background, CEO of Bridgewater, uh, which is an international, um, an international investment fund. So you understand the, how the global economy works, your years in Treasury. Of course, you got the military background at West Point, great wrestler when you were there. So you, got, you have a very diverse background, but things have changed since we've spoken. We watch inflation now to the point where I've never, I haven't seen it like this, and no one's seen it like this in 40 years. And here's the President of the United States doing anything but owning it. Cut one. America's fighting on two fronts. At home, it's inflation and rising prices. Abroad, it's helping Ukrainians defend their democracy and feeding those who are left hungry around the world because Russian atrocities exist. And Jeff and the American farmers understand Putin's war has, has, has cut off critical sources of food. Ukraine was the world's largest producer of wheat and corn and cooking oil. So he goes on to blame the war, Putin's price hike, Donald Trump called him the MAGA king and all MAGA supporters the most extreme in his lifetime. The pandemic, of course. And then he said, how dare you blame me for spending? Republicans spent more than me. I'm, yeah. In a time in crisis, he doesn't own any of it. Yeah. 
yeah, it's disgraceful. I mean, the first thing you learn at West Point is leaders take accountability. And, um, and we can draw a direct line between the terrible policies of Joe Biden and this inflation crisis. And, um, and there's three things that, that are, the, are the reason we have this, the huge spending. But this is just math. Look at what Biden has spent in his first 18 months in office, and it, it stands out as, an, as exceptional in any period of American history. So the spending has been extreme. The energy policies that have made us a net importer have overnight put a huge crunch on global supply, and that's driven up the price of fuel. And that fuel is a key driver of inflation. And then the third thing is we now – um, have a set of policies that are not pro-growth economic policies that are going to expand our economy and deregulation that we had under the America First policies of President Trump. So on every front, the president is so, is so wrong and he's not leading. And uh, listen, as a U.S. senator, I know what to do on day one. I know exactly how to handle this issue. I can't tell you how big a deal it is in Pennsylvania, Brian. I mean, this kills working families. That, um, that are core to our Republican Party and, and winning this primary and this general election. Right. It kills elders on fixed income because prices are going up and their fixed income isn't, and it's killing small businesses. I meet small businesses you know, every day, and this is the number one thing on their mind. So this is a national crisis, and I'll say one more word, which is we're at risk of stagflation now, where we have this 40-year high in inflation and the economy stalls. And it's all because of wrong leadership, bad ideas, and we need a change in our majorities in the House and Senate, a new occupant in the White House to, to get things back on track, and a, and a new senator from Pennsylvania. Is there a program, uh, Dave McCormick, being that you do have knowledge of China, that will begin to bring manufacturing home from China? And could you tell me what, uh, what in particular concerns you most that China's doing that we're on the hook for? Listen, we need to have a... a national strategy that builds on what President Trump did with China and, and really goes toe-to-toe with China in a different way. There's four things I do beyond what, uh, what, what the great path of President Trump was. First, um, we need to decouple in key strategic industries. Pharmaceuticals need to come home. We can't be dependent. We learned in COVID we're dependent on China. And we need to bring home semiconductors, which, God forbid, we have 90% of the world's semiconductor production that's 90 miles from, uh, from mainland China. We need to hold China accountable for COVID and fentanyl, which is killing uh, Pennsylvanians. And we don't, still don't know what the heck happened with COVID, and we lost a million Americans and trillions of value. We need to continue the fair trade policies of President Trump, the steel tariffs and other tariffs, that make sure that our, our uh, manufacturers here have a fair shake. And then finally, we need to make sure no company or investor is investing in China in a way that's going to support the modernization of the military or the, the human rights abuses for the Uyghurs. And as a, as a you know, combat vet, someone who's negotiated against China and done business around the world, I'm unique mm-hmm. in my ability to lead in the Senate on how to go uh, a new national strategy, which really changes our relationship with China, makes us far less dependent. Uh, Dave McCormick with us now, GOP candidate for Senate to replace Pat Toomey in a tough fight with uh, Dr. Oz and Kathy Barnett. Real quick, on what uh, President Biden is calling out, is going after Rick Scott's 11-point plan what the Senate should do if, there, if it flips to the Republicans. And one of it is on the one point on number five says the 50 percent of the country that does not pay taxes should pay anything, even if it's the smallest amount. Everyone should have skin in the game. And that's what President Biden is focusing on. Here's what he's saying. He's making that the Republican mantra. First off, from what you know of the plan, would you agree with it? 
And how do you feel about the president? Uh, how do you feel about Rick Scott saying everyone should have skin in the game? Well, listen, I mean, at this point, particularly my my uh, approach on taxes would be to make permanent the Trump tax cuts. I think the biggest problem is that we don't have pro-growth economic policies and deregulation. That's the way to unlock our economy. We have to have a combination of pro-growth policies and fiscal prudence. We have neither of those under Joe Biden. You know, I think it's great that Senator Scott has come forward with a plan. I don't necessarily agree with all the specifics of the plan, but I do agree that we as Republicans need to take leadership, have an aggressive set of, of next generation leaders in the Senate that are carrying, uh, carrying the fight. And uh, we can't just be against what Joe Biden's doing, which is a disaster. We need to be proactively for what we're for. And I think uh, President Trump's uh, America First agenda is the, is the good foundation for that. More to follow. But uh, at this point, I'm not in favor of any, any increases in taxes because I think it's the worst thing we could do for our economy at this moment. We need to, we need to unlock our economy, not uh, further uh, suppress it. All right, Dave, what are your plans, uh, what are your plans for the sprint to Tuesday? Well, I got, uh, I got uh, my friend and supporter, uh, Ted Cruz, coming in uh, to Philadelphia today. Uh, I've had great endorsements from Mike Pompeo, Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, Bob Lighthizer, who led President Trump's China policy, and, and, and number, Sarah Huckabee, a number of others. So great support. Ted and I are going to do four rallies. We're going to do one here in uh, uh, Philadelphia, here in Montgomery County. We're going to do one in Pittsburgh tonight in Allegheny County. And then tomorrow we're going to finish with a, a rally in Wilkes-Barre and then a, a rally in Lancaster County. So we're going to hit the state, and then, you know, the last couple days, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, which is getting that pickup truck and go shake hands and make my case to the great people of uh, Pennsylvania. All right. Uh, Dave McCormick, best luck in the final sprint. Uh, former Undersecretary of Treasury, International Affairs, under George W. Bush, West Point grad, uh, and now trying to be the next senator from Pennsylvania. Thanks, Dave. Hey, thank you, Brian. Have a good day. You got it. Uh, so he's trailing just barely in both these polls within the margin of error. Dr. Oz has the endorsement of the president. But as you see, uh, Dave McCormick and Barnett, they both feel as though uh, they fully are in back of the president and his pol- the former president and his policies, which is a good tactical move. You don't want to alienate Trump supporters, even if President Trump has made his choice. So when we come back, I'll take your calls for this hour, one 408 we have not really d- discussed much about the the show vote yesterday and the derision and the anger directed at who else but Joe Manchin. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Here at first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's also possible that the fact that she is an adoptive mother is influencing her inability to see what it's like to carry a pregnancy to term. Well, she's had five kids on herself, by herself. Not everybody wants to have five kids or four kids or one kid. Yeah, that protester, this uh, this clown in a handmaiden's tail outfit, walking past Amy Coney, uh, Amy Coney Barrett's house again for the, maybe the fifth, sixth straight day, uh, and harassing her children. You can imagine five kids, two adopted, young family. Mom comes home, people are screaming her mom horrible things outside their house. They probably have to go somewhere else. These kids got homework. They have teams. Uh, there are things they're involved with, and they got to deal with this. That's okay with you? And this idiot protester says Amy Coney Barrett adopts kids, doesn't know what it's like to carry a child, not even doing a research to find out that she's got five kids of her own, and then quickly pivots and says, not everybody wants five kids. Right. 
Not everybody wants five kids, but she does. And you know how she's going to vote. And you understand the opinion. And you understand this is going to go back to the states. You want to protest, go do it. Go march. But don't do it at people's houses. Governor Glenn Youngkin, he says it's up to the attorney general to enforce the law. But he is the governor of the place in which this is happening there in Maryland. Cut 26. The statute is incredibly clear. It basically says if you are parading or picketing in order to try to influence a judge, then it's punishable with up to a year in prison. That sounds illegal to me. And I I just ask the attorney general to enforce the law that's on the books. If people want to demonstrate someplace off away from their home, that's their prerogative. But again, this is not a final ruling. It's a draft ruling. Right. And clearly, these, these demonstrations are being pulled together to try to influence the final outcome. And that is prohibited based on federal statute. Yeah, I, I just, just going ahead. I mean, the cops just go in there and push them back. Seal off the block. That is it. Talk to the families. Find out if they want to get out of there. And I'll tell you. When a Democrat's going to understand that you may be against, uh, you may be on the offensive in this situation, but everything blows up in your face. Cancel culture started with liberal uh, cancel culture lunatics. They end up shooting Al Franken and everybody else, behavior or not, justified or whatever. They blow themselves up. Now, you're saying it's acceptable to go outside people's houses because you don't agree with them? Well, there's a lot of Republicans who think Attorney General Merrick Garland's absolutely awful. There's a lot of people who thought that Jen Psaki's sarcastic retorts were, uh, un- were something that uh, was annoying them. So that, guess what? We know exactly – people know exactly where they live. So instead of protesting outside Supreme Court justices in a few weeks, maybe it's time to go see the new press secretary. Maybe it's time to see the new Homeland Security secretary, who's Mayorkas, who's an embarrassment to this country. I'm not into ruining his personal life, but you are laying the groundwork for making that uh, an everyday occurrence, which means no one's going to run for office uh, at at all. Here's Esther Salas on this very issue. This is the judge whose son was murdered and a husband was shot because of a job that she does um, uh, because of a conviction that she had as a judge. Here's Cut 22. And it's been over 21 months and and 18 days since Daniel's murder. And they can do this in a week. They can do this in a week, which they need to do, by the way. But had my bill, had the bill been passed, um, these justices' addresses would have been sealed a long time ago. Yeah, uh, she knows what it's like. Uh, Richards, you're in Texas. Hey, Richard. Hello. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hold. My alarm just started going off. Yes. Uh, very quickly, I spent 34 days in Moscow 16 months ago. I was escorted in by Putin's deputy prime minister to be on some specials. And my host, or my escort, if you would, said, I asked, what is Putin's uh, thing? And then she said, and she was the daughter of a KGB colonel, um, that his main thing is his legacy, which was to bring back the Soviet bloc, and uh, that she also said that he has, uh, I can't remember, she said Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. But my point Big difference. is, why is nobody bringing up the scenario of a, a potential um, suicide? Like Hitler said, burn it all down, and they was, he was not going to go out alive. Everyone's talking about Putin will not push the button, but has anyone brought up the scenario of will he, if he's going out, he can take people with him? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, people brought up all types of things. He's not playing in his famed hockey game today. 
Uh, he's 68 years old. He's at his Sochi compound right now. And we know that he does not look good on Easter. He did not look good sitting in the stands with a blanket over his legs. Uh, and I know that he got himself in way over his head, the biggest disaster in modern Russia. Remember, when Stalin was invaded by, by Hitler and things were going terrible and the, and the scorched earth policy was having millions die and uh, town after town being burned down by the Soviets of their own towns to maybe suck the Germans in and get them stuck there for the winter like they did with Napoleon – Stalin went catatonic. He was hanging out in his house. He thought he was going to be killed any minute. He was saved by the fact that the Germans overextended. Ben, that's what I see Vladimir Putin doing. Ben, listening in Michigan. Hey, Ben. Yeah, hey, Brian. Listen, uh, with everything going on in Ukraine, I know that our biggest threat has always been China. Um, Right now, we know for a fact that India has the second largest army in the world, and we know for a fact that there's no love lost between India and China, right. which was exemplified by that uh, border uh, uh, combat they had about two summers ago. Are we making any type of overtures to India to play interference against the Chinese when the time comes when they start trying to make uh, their advances towards uh, Taiwan? Not sure. I know that India is uh, also friends with Russia and China. That might be a good move, but we're not too fond of Modi right now because he's sustaining Russia. He's still buying their oil, helping to finance that war machine. But that's something to consider. I know he was a lot tighter with Trump than he is with Biden, but that is a a piece of leverage of international relations that shows how astute you are, Ben. Uh, Listen, go to BrianKillMe.com. Find out where uh, I'll be, how to contact us. Also, One Nation coming up Saturday at 8 o'clock and then repeated again at 11 on the Fox News channel. Brian Kilme Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, hi everybody, Brian Kilmeade, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world. Mark Thiessen's been woken up early, he likes to sleep till noon, he'll be joining me early just because he cares so much about our audience and all of you. He'll be providing his insight. He's a columnist of the Washington Post in years with the Bush administration, now at Fox News contributor. Katie Pavlich at the bottom of the hour uh, as well. And we'll be taking your calls throughout the day. And, of course, as we look to see what's going to be taking uh, place this weekend, a lot of people are looking at what's going to be happening Tuesday, and that's a big primary. Uh, It's the test of Donald Trump's power. I don't think he's going to have successes in the governor's race in Georgia, I think he will have it with Herschel Walker. But man, it is uh, he he blessed Doctor Oz, but Dave McCormick and Kathy Barnett are also still very much in contention. Uh, we'll find out what's going to happen there. So let's get to the big three now with the stories you need to know. It's Brian's big three, sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save ten percent. Number three. I think what we're really seeing is actually a, an end of the momentum that Russia may have achieved in the south and southeast, and the beginning of some momentum for Ukrainian forces as the enormous amount of weapons systems, ammunition, making their weight felt. 
Uh, that is David Petraeus, and that's what he's saying is the battlefield is the situation. They will still want the country despite the economy that is falling apart for Russia. Yes, I am talking about Russia. They still think they could take Kiev, and their goals in the Ukraine is to make them go down. Meanwhile, uh, in the east, Ukraine had a major victory, but um, in the uh, south, it looks like they're taking a move on Odessa. Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin's health very much in doubt. Number two. The bill we have today to vote on, it is not Roe v. Wade codification. It's an expansion. It wipes 500, 500 state laws off the books. It expands abortion. And with that, that's not where we are today. We should not be dividing this country further than we're already divided. Uh, that is uh, Joe Manchin. Uh, the Dem show, uh, the, the Dem show vote falls on abortion rights. As it becomes clear, Dems want to make this a midterm issue. They knew they couldn't get 60. They would have codified Roe v. Wade. And Supreme Justices have an issue with their own personal security. As weeks go by and there's been not one word about the identity of the leaker that caused this to begin with. Number one. Remember those long lines you'd see in a Burgers. television? People lining up in all kinds of vehicles just to get a box of food. How quickly we forget people were hurting. And what did the MAGA crowd want to do? Forget it. Yeah, Joe Biden a little bit angrier than normal, getting worse. Just about everything we buy costs more. Baby formula gone from the shelves. President Biden heckles Trump, blames Putin, and the pandemic. Really? While the press secretary laughs at who, when asked who's in charge of getting baby, baby formula back on the shelves. Let's bring in uh, Mark Thiessen. Mark, are you surprised that we keep on getting these catchphrases from the president? He's bringing up Rick Scott's, one of his, uh, Rick Scott's points, rather than trying to solve the problem six months from an election. Yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous. First of all, Rick Scott, like not, not a single Republican in the Senate supports Rick Scott's plan. So he has taken this outlier bill that uh, that Rick's good plan that Rick Scott has done and tried to make it uh, impose it on the rest of the Republican Party and make this uh, the the plan that they were running on. This is just typical for this. This president just lies all the time. You know, they used to complain about Biden, about Trump lying all the time. He just lies nonstop. He lies about the Republican plans. Uh, for uh, this ultra mega agenda, most people look back and say, "Hey, you know, I was pretty good under MAGA. <laughs> Maybe MAGA wasn't. I didn't like Donald Trump, but the MAGA agenda sounds good." They, they, they're mistaken if they, if they think that people voted against the Trump agenda. They voted against Donald Trump, but they didn't vote against what Trump was doing in office. They liked what he was doing in office. I think 56 percent of Americans, in the midst of the pandemic, said they were better off now than they were four years ago. How many would say that? about Joe Biden today, that they're better off now than they were a year and a half ago. I mean, yeah, let's look at what's happening in America right now. Uh, According to the Penn Wharton School, uh, families are paying $300 more a month minimum. Harris Poll says 84% of Americans are cutting back on key purchases. Why? Because uh, natural gas is up 100%. Uh, hotel costs up 22 percent, fuel oil up 80 percent, tires 15 percent, beef 14 percent, milk 14 percent, gas overall 44 percent. So you have big and small things that are all costing more money and interest rates going up. And there's an uncertainty that I haven't seen. And when you talk about anti-leadership. This is President Biden like losing it, pointing out to lines during the pandemic as saying that and deficits that went up during the pandemic Blame, blaming this basically on Trump. I, I'm, I find it hard to believe. And he's got this new term now. Listen to this. Cut to. My Republican colleagues say these programs to help the working class and middle class people 
That's, they say, that's why we have inflation. They're dead wrong. Under my predecessor, the great MAGA king, the deficit increased every single year he was president. The great MAGA king? Deficits? <laughs> what, are you, what, what are you even talking about? He's flailing. He's flailing. Uh, first of all, he's like trying to make deficits an issue right now, like how the, de- uh, the deficit. Americans don't give a crap about the deficit right now. You know what they care about? The deficit in their paycheck because of the inflation that Biden has unleashed. The deficit in their retirement accounts because of the, the stock market collapsing. They, that's what they care about. They're for, the deficit in their 401ks. They don't care about the federal deficit. Uh, they, they, they care about their, their own pocketbooks and what's happening and all the statistics that you just listed about the things they can't afford. So Biden's, Biden's focused on the wrong things. And then, and then the Democrats, not only are they not focused on inflation and solving these problems, but their number one issue now apparently is codifying Roe v. Wade and, and, and creating a – trying to pass a national right to abortion on demand up until the moment of birth, which is opposed by the majority of Americans uh, because, they, because they've got such a – a enthusiasm gap. The NBC News poll showed 17-point enthusiasm gap. The last time that happened was in 2010, and they lost 60 seats in the House. But so do you agree, Mark, that this toilet. issue, but the issue breaks, get would mobilize Democrats? No, I don't. Actually, uh, there was an NRC uh, National Republican Senatorial Committee poll that showed they asked uh, people whether would you be more likely to vote for a candidate who supports reasonable restrictions on abortion or vote for a candidate who supports unlimited abortions up until the moment of birth. Fifty three percent would be more likely to vote for a candidate who supports reasonable restrictions. Twenty eight for abortion up until the moment of birth. Uh, the the it's not if you look at the polls, the number of people who vote on abortion. Uh, as their number one issue is two, maybe four percent, depending on the poll. They're for about thirty percent, it's a it's considered an important issue, and sixty percent of that of those uh, people for whom it's an important issue are are pro life, and and forty are are pro choice. So it's more Republicans care more about it. Conservatives care. Pro lifers care more about the issue than than liberals do. So it's not going to solve their problem. But the problem is. By focusing on this and making this radical bill that they just try, had a vote on the, the centerpiece of their message right now, Americans are looking at that and saying, I've got the worst inflation in 40 years, the highest gas prices on record, the worst crime wave and murder wave since the 1990s, the worst border crisis in American history, fentanyl deaths, uh, opioids uh, out of control all over the city, and you're focused on killing babies up until the moment of birth. That's your agenda. Even even if I, if I agree with you and I say I'm pro-choice, that's what you're focused on right now. That's the most important thing for you. Give me a break. A couple of things, Mark. Uh, I'm not a campaign expert, but if you're told me where should I go today if I'm President Biden, I would go to that Abbott factory where they had the recall in February and I would have emergency meetings with the FDA and I'd make sure the cameras saw the FDA commissioner walk into my office and say, yeah, there were problems, but this is fixed. I can't have – we can't wait 12 weeks to get baby formula back on the shelf. This has got to be done. Therefore, you don't blame Trump. You don't take advantage. You don't, you don't say Joe Manchin hamstrung my party. You sit there and you try to solve problems. Look like a guy that understands it. Why wouldn't he do that? Uh, because they care more about killing babies than feeding them. It's that simple. Well, that's a little abrupt. <laughs> I mean, uh, It is. I mean that's what, that's what it is. They, 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 they just passed a bill. That are tried to pass a bill that literally would create an unfettered right of abortion up until the moment of birth. 
if that's I, I don't think there's a, there are very many Americans who think that killing a, a child in the third trimester is not murder. I want you to hear um, Kareen John Pierre on this very issue on who's in charge of getting baby formula back on the shelves. Cut six. This is an urgent issue that the FDA, as you all know, and the White House is working 24-7 to address. Right, who's yep. running point on the, on the, the formula issue at the White House? You mentioned the White House is involved. I, I, at the White House, I don't, I, I don't know. I can find out for you and get you a person who's running point, um, but I, I don't have a yeah, person in she think, she's sarca- She giggles sarcastically. That's a very important question. It is an important question, but these, again, they're focused on the wrong things. They're focused. They're, 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 you know, on the economy. He's talking about the deficit when no one cares about the deficit. They care about their personal finances. He's talking about. He's talking when he's talking about children. He's talking about he, to use the president's own phrase, aborting a child. That's what he said. It, it was a, it was a Freudian slip. He's, they, he know, he's a Catholic. He knows deep down that it's a child. He's on record. <laughs> He's you know, on record yeah. wrestling with this twenty years ago, but now he seems so uh, so sure of himself. Stop wrestling! Yeah. Stop wrestling! He's 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 tapped out. He's capitulated <laughs> to the to the to the radical uh, radical uh, pro pro abortion wing of his party. When Americans are wondering where they're going to get baby formula to keep to keep the babies they didn't kill, they didn't abort, they <laughs> Ma- they Mark. chose life. I mean, we, they they're they're focused on the wrong thing. Hey, by the way, I see all the calls up there. I'll get to them. But you're a three-tool player today, Mark. I got to tap into your other area of expertise, <laughs> and let's go into let's talk war. Here's Ben Wallace, the U.K. Secretary of Defense, on Vladimir Putin and what we know so far that will change our perception of Russia and him. Cut 32. He's also reduced his armed forces. You know, he's put about 65 to 75 percent of all his land forces into the Ukrainian war. There, as we can see, are suffering some serious damage and will take years to refurbish. So he's going to be less of a military power uh, than this at the beginning. And him personally, he's at his Sochi compound, not playing in his beloved hockey game. And in his dress, there was no big news to come out on May 9th. And we see Ukraine making some progress. But Russia is, uh, in a brutal way, taking portions of the Ukraine in the south and the east. How do you feel about where this conflict is? So there was a number that came out recently that the Ukrainians had captured and and taken over 263 Russian tanks, which makes Russia the largest supplier of heavy weapons to Ukraine in the world. Nice. I love it. (laughs) That's where we are. And the rest are being destroyed. This this war, this miscalculation by Vladimir Putin, we should be taking advantage of this to absolutely decimate and destroy the Russian military so that they cannot threaten anyone ever again. It it will take them decades to recover from the loss, not just from the losses. uh, uh, I'll give you an example, by the way, of how afraid they are of their own people. The Ukrainians have a refrigerated trailer filled with hundreds of bodies of, of, of Russian soldiers that have been killed that they are trying to give to the Russians to repatriate so they can return them to their families, and the Russians won't accept them because they're Mark, afraid. They Mark, don't, they don't not want them. I, I do. I, I hear you because uh, that's why they bring an incinerator to the front. They don't want to bring the bodies back. Mark, I want to bring you to this last part. Now, Republicans and are getting wary about writing these big checks. Here's Jim Jordan, why he voted against the $39 billion on Tuesday. 
I understand people's intentions. I understand how bad the situation is for the Ukrainian people, what they're going through, and why some of my colleagues may have went that way. But I also understand what's happening here in this country with record levels of crime, a border that's wide open, attorney general who tweets the very, treats the very moms and dads you were talking to as if they were domestic terrorists. And what have the Democrats done in the last two weeks? Last week, they, they give us the disinformation governance board and, and come after our First Amendment liberties. And this week, they spend $40 billion on a foreign country. So that's the concern that I have, and I think so many Americans have. I voted for all kinds of help for Ukraine thus far. But this bill, we said, no, look, we got to focus on the issues that count here in America that matter to American families and also help Ukraine, but do it in a way that makes more sense than I think this piece of legislation did, uh, particularly with the fact that we only had a few hours to look at it, for goodness it sake. So do, uh, can you address Jim Jordan's concerns? Because he's not alone. Uh, he well, he's pretty alone because the, the vote was overwhelming, and most and most Republicans voted for it. Um, so, so he is pretty alone. And two, I agree with everything he said about the border. I agree with everything he said about crime. I agree with everything he said about those things. That shouldn't first stop us from helping Ukraine. This is this is this is where's the party of Ronald Reagan? Where's the party of the uh, that uh, that that faced evil in the world? And like that. I mean, if the, if you can't support the Ukrainians in this fight, then I, then we've lost our moral bearings. Uh, they, they, these are not. This is a false choice to say that we we can't we can't pass this aid to help the Ukrainians defend themselves from from unjust aggression and weaken Russia uh, in it, in its global campaign gotcha. against democracy. They, they, we we can do that and chew gum at the same time. And the fact that the Democrats are willing to do the, help Ukraine and we have bipartisan support on that shouldn't be stopped because they won't do the right thing on other issues. I hear you. Mark, I want to give you a chance to answer that uh, because some people do have those questions and there is a lot of people concerned about what's happening here. But I also see long term, we have, we avoided it in 2009. We avoided it in 2014. Now we have a bigger problem in 2022. If we don't f- solve this now, uh, the problem is only getting a bit bigger for next administrations, regardless of who's president. Uh, and I think we agree on that. And uh, we should be doing the same thing, by the way, now for Taiwan. We should be arming them to the teeth before Russia, China invades. Uh, so anything we're giving to the Ukrainians, we should be giving to the Taiwanese as well and everything. So that when one day when, the, when China does invade, we don't look back and say we wish we had given those weapons before. Right. Allison, how fired up is Mark Thiessen today? I mean, I couldn't even, I didn't even ask him a question. He just went into his own little – it's unbelievable. You don't even need me here. Mark, thanks so much. I look forward to your next column. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Back with your calls, and then Katie Pavlich. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mortgage rates are now over 5%. They're the highest okay. they've been in a long time. That's a lot. Yeah. And, and the, what's called the affordability index, what people can pay for housing, is at an all-time low, which is bad. Because you have high housing prices still and high mortgage rates, which means when people calculate how much of a mortgage can I afford and what kind of house does that buy me, the news is not good. And that's another, another issue. That that's a huge issue. Face. Steve Ratner, uh, not a left wing, not a right wing zealot, a left wing liberal uh, finance guy, used to work at the Obama administration. He also said the one point nine trillion dollar rescue plan was not good, uh, was not good finance. And it did not work well for the country, even though President Biden continues to think it saved the country. But we were already awash in cash. We need to get back to work. Just he was awash with vaccines. Already had a million in people's arms when he took over. And then he continued to rack up more deaths during his time than President Trump. 
but yet it was President Trump who acted irresponsibly when we didn't even know what hit us. We didn't have a shot or a vaccine ready to go, obviously, because we still don't know exactly what happened uh, with this virus, where it came from, what made it up, and how to stop it. And then you have a guy that was not able to anticipate the variants when all his so-called experts should have been telling him, look out for the variants. Then they told us if you get vaccinated, we're not going to get it again. Jen Psaki's up to four or five times, by the way. Then he's gotten a therapeutic, took four more months. So he's got a therapeutic, he's got a vaccine, he's got de- decreasing cases. But he's blaming the pandemic supply chain. He's blaming uh, Vladimir Putin and the MAGA crowd for the problems he's having. I'm going to discuss this on One Nation. And I, uh, today, I'm just going to be one of my themes. If you look at past presidents, many Democrats, including the guy who says the buck stops here, meaning his desk, a Democrat named Harry Truman, leadership, captains, coaches, highest levels, lowest levels, the CEOs, the head of the Parent Teachers Association, the PTAs, whatever it is, you take responsibility to solve a problem. Everything that Joe Biden isn't doing. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I was hopeful that the Democratic Party, having control of the agenda, would put a piece of legislation forward that would really codify Roe v. Wade. Seventy percent of the American public wants Roe v. Wade to be codified, as has been precedented law for 50 years. To me, that would be the reasonable, rational thing to do. The bill we have today to vote on, the Women's Health Protection Act, and I respect people who support but don't make no mistake, it is not Roe v. Wade codification. It's an expansion. It wipes 500, 500 state laws off the books. It expands abortion. And with that, that's not where we are today. We should not be dividing this country further than we're already divided. And it's, it's really the, the, the politics of Congress that's dividing the country. It's not the people. They, they're telling us what they want. And uh, it's just disappointing that uh, we're going to be voting on a piece of legislation, which I will not vote for today. Uh, but I would vote for a Roe v. Wade codification if it was today. I was hopeful for that. And the thing is, he's not pro-life. He's just pro-logic. Uh, he does not want uh, a abortion uh, when someone's in the ninth month of pregnancy. Do you? Murkowski and Collins also are pro-choice. They had submitted uh, their own short, uh, their own abortion rights bill that was more narrowly tailored, but Schumer chose not to bring it for a vote. Why would that be? Let's bring in someone who knows about politics and motivation. Katie Pavlich is with us, town hall editor of Fox News Contributor. Katie, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Great to be on your show. Thanks for having me. No problem. And I know you're going to be on television with us uh, this weekend. So I'm listening to why would Senator Schumer put something out there that he knows guys like Joe Manchin and Republicans like Murkowski and Collins wouldn't go for? Well, they, they're, you know, Chuck Schumer knows that he's using this moment on the, quote, codification of Roe to dishonestly make an argument. Uh, you know, the general perception of Roe versus Wade is that if it gets overturned, that abortion then will be banned everywhere uh, across the country. And that's, that's not true. If Roe versus Wade is overturned, the issue simply goes back to the states. There'll be certain states like New York and California that will have very extreme abortion laws, sometimes up to the day of birth. Uh, Other states like Oklahoma or Alabama, Louisiana may choose to ban abortion altogether. So they're using this, uh, you know, this moment to 
dishonestly argue uh, that Republicans are against Roe versus Wade, which politically they think is good because polling shows that the majority of people want Roe versus Wade held up. But then when you dive, you know, one layer deeper and ask people, well, uh, what do you support? any kind of restrictions on abortion, then the majority of people believe that abortion should be banned after 15 weeks. Well, that's not what Democrats have been arguing, and that's certainly, as what Joe Manchin pointed out, uh, was not in this bill, the bill that they put on the floor claiming that codified Roe uh, was going to force religious institutions to uh, conduct abortions. It would allow people who are not doctors to conduct abortions. It would completely eliminate states' rights on the issue by wiping hundreds of laws off the books. And so Chuck Schumer is trying to use this as a base issue. As you know, Brian, midterm elections are base elections. They're not, you know, elections necessarily where uh, people who generally aren't involved in politics turn out and, and Democrats are desperate for an issue they think is, is on their side and they believe they can make the argument uh, dishonestly, that Roe versus Wade being overturned would ban all abortions, which is not the case. Right. Uh, here's So will this be a motivating issue for Democrats? Some think so, including Congresswoman Judy Chu of California, Cut 20. Today is not the end. Today is just the beginning. Today we start the march towards the November elections. And in fact, today is the start of the galvanization of all women in this country and the men who support them. Well, she feels that uh, they're now motivated. Does she have a point? Well, first I take issue with her saying that all women are now motivated by uh, the issue of this this pro-abortion left. The fact is that the the majority of pro-life activists in this country are, are women. And actually, one of the Supreme Court cases that was heard last spring was brought by a pro-life Democrat in Louisiana who happens to be a woman. Um, and so this issue of Democrats now saying this is a broader women's rights issue, there's a lot of women who disagree with abortion. And if you look at the polling, uh, the majority of women actually do support limits on abortion. But if you ask many Democrats in the party whether they support, including Joe Biden, whether they right. support any limits on abortion, they refuse to talk about it, which gives you an answer. The answer is no, they don't support any limits uh, on abortion. So in terms of the base, you know, getting out, you know, I do think that this hypes up certain elements of the Democratic Party, um, but it just goes to show how far they've gone from, you know, the 90s, for example, when they advocated that abortion be legal, safe, and rare, uh, and now they've advocated, as seen yesterday, and, and you know, Democrats who voted for the bill yesterday codified uh, the principles that the Democrats broadly, there's a few exceptions, but broadly believe uh, that abortion should be not only acceptable uh, up until the moment of birth, but celebrated, uh, that it should be a liberating idea for women. Um, and they, while rejecting the idea that, you know, there's a lot of millions of women throughout the country, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of them who show up in Washington, D.C. every year for the March of Life, uh, who disagree with the idea that abortion should be uh, celebrated or, uh, you know, allowed nine months into pregnancy. A couple of things. The other thing that's happening now, which I can't stand, but I know exactly where it's going, is the protest in front of people's houses. We saw it in front of the Trump Mm -hmm. administration, with the Trump administration. We saw it when they went out to dinner. We saw the problems Ted Cruz was having. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was having. You see it because you live around there. Now, all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court justices, who are probably weeks away from 
uh, overturning Roe v. Wade, find their houses and their families turned on its head. Listen to this interview with a protester in Virginia, Cut 27. It's also possible that the fact that she is an adoptive mother is influencing her inability to see what it's like to carry a pregnancy to term. Well, she's had five kids on herself, by herself. Not everybody wants to have five kids or right. four kids or one kid. That's Amy Coney Barrett they're talking about. They've been protesting in front of her house for a week. Can you imagine be having a kids under 12 years old and seeing people screaming about your mother outside all week? But Katie, this is not going to end well. And they, don't they know Democrats are going to be the eye, in the eye of the storm eventually? Well, the irony is that, you know, this week, uh, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki got up in front of uh, the media in the briefing room and said, and, and said that these people should continue. It's not that they just won't condemn it. They're condoning it and telling these protesters to continue uh, to go to these the homes of Supreme Court justices. And at just this morning at a, a breakfast for Jen Psaki, she's leaving her post tomorrow as White, White House press secretary. She was complaining about the fact that threats come with the job and that the Arlington GOP is allegedly circulating her address. Um, And that's exactly right. The standard should be that you don't protest at people's homes. It's inappropriate. And given the fact that, you know, groups like Ruth sent us, which is this pro-abortion group that's been showing up and claiming, you know, saying they're going to show up at the Supreme Court and in front of the justices' houses has ties to Black Lives Matter, which, of course, caused $2 billion worth of damage and riots last summer. There's very serious and credible concern here for the safety of the justices. Uh, and, and they're setting a precedent here, the left is. And so, you know, they think it's fine to uh, protest and descend on people's home, private homes when, when the ends justify the means. It's the same reason they didn't condemn the leak from the Supreme Court, uh, despite it being a complete breaking of norms, damaging to the court, you know, raises all kinds of trust issues about how the court can continue to do its business and whether the American people can trust the outcome. And the bottom line, Brian, is that the White House saying that people should continue to show up at the homes of Supreme Court justices, Supreme Court justices shows that they want to pressure the justices into changing their mind. Um, you're not – it's illegal to uh, try to intimidate judges or justices into changing their mind on a case. It, it's an obstruction of justice, and yet the White House is mm-hmm. perfectly fine with doing that in order to justify their political means. You know what I wonder is, well, why is Governor Youngkin looking for the attorney general to do something? You got state cops. Push everybody back. Keep them down the road. And uh, I, to me, I, I don't know why the attorney general has to get involved. I could be wrong here, but shouldn't the governor just tell the state police that I'm concerned about the welfare and this does break the law? I, I do believe that uh, Glenn Youngkin, governor of Virginia, has been uh, you know, saying that he's willing to, to, to protect these justices' homes because they do live in Virginia and that there are laws in Virginia, state laws, that make it illegal to protest and harass in front of people's homes. Um, I do think that, that he may be getting some pushback from the Department of Justice, who uh, finally yesterday said that they are going to provide more U.S. Marshals uh, support and that DOJ has jurisdiction over the safety uh, and well-being of Supreme Court justices. Um, But there were police outside the home of Justice Alito uh, the other day, I believe. I know, but push Um, them back. They're too close, right? They are too close. Yeah. And they, you know, they have to flee their house. And these kids have school and, you know, these uh, obviously, you know, the answer to that. So 
President Biden has a yep. very interesting approach to leading us out of high inflation, high gas prices, uh, while still trying to support a war against one of our enemies, and that is blame everybody else. I mean, I'm literally, he's coming up with catchphrases to blame Trump. He's uh, calling the Putin price hike. He's blaming the pandemic, everything except him. I'll give you an example of something he could do, Katie, a little different. Turns out the Biden administration has just canceled a massive oil and gas lease sale, Mm -hmm. uh, which in the middle of record gas prices over in Alaska, you're talking about a thousand acres. I mean, how do you how do you rationalize that? Well, you rationalize it by getting in the mind of of where the left is on the issue of climate and oil and gas. And to them, it makes perfect sense. If you have less supply of oil and gas, the price goes up, and therefore it makes it unaffordable for people to use that kind of energy. They have repeatedly said, a number of Biden administration officials, including the EPA administrator, President Biden, and the energy secretary, that they are in a transition. They are trying to force the American people onto alternative forms of energy. And I call them alternative because they're not green forms of energy. They're all, are, are alternative forms of energy. Uh, they're trying to do it by force, by making the American people uncomfortable. That's the only explanation uh, for what they've done, not just with the Keystone Pipeline, limiting leases throughout the first year of Joe Biden's presidency, but now you know, destroying these, these leasing uh, uh, projects in Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico. Right. Uh, and so this is this is their goal. The pain is the point. They want to make it so painful that people do have to uh, look to other forms uh, of energy that will be inefficient. Um, you know, their solution from Pete Buttigieg, for example, is that if gas is too expensive, then just go buy an electric car, as if that's something that the American people can afford. Right. Uh, with no chips. Uh, so here right. is uh, here's President Biden attacking the problem. Cut five. I'm, you know, I'm not usually just discreet about my Republican friends. I've got along with a lot of them, used to anyway. But Senator Rick Scott, a Republican from Florida, laid out a plan in writing. The, well, the, it's called, I call, I call it the Ultra MAGA plan. Make America Great Again plan. It's in writing. And here's what it does. It raises taxes on 75 million American families over 95% of whom earn less than $100,000 a year in a combined income. It would raise taxes by nearly $1,500 per family. It's all in writing. Go online. They got it backwards. So he's picking out one element of Rick Scott's 11-point plan and saying it's the Republican doctrine. Put that in perspective. Well, the only person who supports this plan is Rick Scott. Uh, As soon as he published it, Mitch McConnell came out uh, and and destroyed the idea that this would ever see the light of day as a Republican plan. He's very frustrated because he knew this is exactly what would happen. But for Joe Biden now to be blaming Rick Scott or to say that, you know, Rick Scott Republican plan may happen. Well, the fact is that Joe Biden's policies have led to rampant inflation that has no no signs of slowing down, 11 percent tax on the American people and on every American, despite the fact that Joe Biden promised not to raise taxes on anybody making uh, under $400,000 per year. Grocery bills are up, what, 30% in some places. Gas is up, has tripled since last year. Uh, This idea that he's trying to say, although the, the government is run completely by Democrats in the House, Senate, and the White House, that, you know, the Republicans may be coming to office could pass this when voters can clearly see what has already been done isn't going to be a valid argument. I wouldn't think so. I think it's one of the weakest arguments that I can remember that a 79-year-old 
uh, politician should say, this is not going to help. Why don't we just do the best we can to get some baby formula on the shelves and work our way backwards? Uh, Katie, thanks so much. Always appreciate your insight. Katie Pavlich, Town Hall and Fox News contributor. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. I see you out there in Brookville, Houston, uh, Salem, and, um, and elsewhere around the country. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Actor James Cromwell superglued himself to the counter of a Starbucks in New York yesterday to protest the chain charging more for plant-based milks. Well, over at Dunkin', you kind of just stick to the counter naturally. Right. Okay. There you go. Sort of a, little funny. Bit of, a little bit of humor. Didn't say Donald Trump. It's amazing. How did Seth Meyers do that? I know. Sort of funny. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. All right, Sierra and Russell Wilson welcoming a new puppy to the family for Mother's Day, but Pete is taking them to task for buying the puppy from a breeder and not rescuing a pooch from a shelter island, uh, a shelter instead. You know he got traded to the Broncos this year. You know she is famous, uh, but and, but they went ahead and got a pure breed puppy, and likely from a breeder uh, where mother dogs are often locked inside filthy cages and bred over and over until their bodies give out. But do they know that's who they got the dog from? No, they don't. They're just using this as a way to get attention. Yeah. And by the way, you should have the right to uh, pick your dog. You're going to be living with the dog for 15 years. No, you got to bring it around kids. And then also for a lot of breeders who love their animals, it's how they have an income. It's how, you know, it's their job. Exactly. Next, Tuskegee Airmen asking for birthday cards ahead of his 100th birthday. I'm talking about Victor Butler, a Rhode Island native who served at the Tuskegee Airmen from 41 to 46. He turned 100 on May 21st, working as a mechanic during the war. He says, I'll tell you one thing, it's great to be 100, but when you're 100, that's not much you want. But there aren't too many things that will make you happy than hearing from people and talking Four people. He said, I enjoyed being Tuskegee, although it wasn't enjoyable in the town, uh, obviously, because they had segregation as an issue. So the birthday card can be mailed to Victor Butler, care of Gary Butler, P.O. Box 3523, Cranston, Rhode Island, 02910. Mail them a birthday card. I think that's what every parent should do with their kids this weekend. Next, the famous hammer Chris, uh, Chris Hemsworth wheels at Thor is hitting the market, and the auction the hammer is expected to slam... Uh, once the bidding gets into the six figures, uh, the movie prop known as Stunt Mojo Hammer is from the 2011 Marvel Studios film Thor and expected to fetch at least $100,000 next month. Would you pay that? I wouldn't, but the question is, would you? Because you actually probably could afford it. Right. Well, would I, <laughs> I don't think I could come home with a $100,000 hammer. So I don't I really like think that. I've seen Thor, although his uh, luscious blonde locks are indeed noteworthy. His auction projected to rake in about $9 million when the dust settles. And the most expensive item is likely to be a screen-matched ILM Red Leader X-Wing Starfighter model miniature from Star Wars, A New Hope. An estimated bid would be 500 to $1 million. Does that mean anything to you? It's just a very interesting statistic that maybe I'll bring up with someone later. Something from Back to the Future, maybe? A DeLorean? Time Machine? That would cost between 150 to 200000 That would be pretty cool. That would be good. Brian Kilmeade From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. 
It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world, and hopefully resonating in Ukraine. David Avell will join me at the bottom of the hour, GOPAC chairman, uh, GOP strategist, and a lot of people are intrigued about what could be happening in Pennsylvania as Donald Trump decides that Dr. Oz is his guy. Uh, David McCormick has uh, Ted Cruz support and Mike Pompeo support. And then Kathy Barnett is surging. And in fact, the latest Trafalgar poll is second right behind Oz, just a few percentage points. But some people look at her and say she's somebody that would have a hard time winning the general. We'll see. Joining me now is the former Secretary of Defense, former Secretary of the Army, uh, West Point grad, 1986, same year as Mike Pompeo and many others, and author of a brand new book called The Sacred Oath. Uh, Mr. Secretary, uh, Mark Esper, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Radio Show. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be with you. So, Mark, first off, how have you enjoyed this tour? Uh, well, it's uh, in some ways, yes. Uh, it, it, you know, it's busy. It, it takes a lot of time, and uh, you meet a lot of interesting people and get a lot of great questions. So, I enjoyed uh, being on your show the other day. Though it was a lot of fun. Right, uh, being on Fox and Friends is great. Uh, first off, right. ab- about what's what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. We're just writing a forty billion dollar check now. Uh, and some people are saying, when does this stop? When do we stop uh, giving money to Ukraine when America is suffering economically here at home? What should you? What do you tell my listeners? Well, I'd say a few things. First of all, look, this is more more than just Russia versus Ukraine. It is uh, autocracy versus democracy. And I think uh, we need to support the Ukrainians. They are showing a lot of skill, a grit, leadership, courage under fire. And I think that if we can provide them the the training, the means, the material, the weapons to fight this fight, that means we don't have to fight it. And look, as somebody who grew up uh, uh, in in the Cold War era, I I know what uh, Russia can do. And, uh, you know, when I was Secretary of Defense, the implementation of the National Defense Strategy was my top priorities. But but I will say this much, too, though, Brian, to your question. Forty billion is a lot of money. And we've already put forward, I think, 11, 12 billion before then. Uh, we need to make sure we understand where it's going, that there are uh, uh, controls, that, we, it's, it's, uh, that we know exactly what we're getting, and that, uh, look, I'm a budget hawk. I think there should be offsets as well, and uh, we need to factor those things into consideration too. And lastly, I, I think we need to not only think about Ukrainians' defenses. I don't like the budgets being put forward by President Biden. I think they're weak, uh, they're flat, and we need to really build up the United States military more broadly and deal with the greatest adversary we face in the country, which is China. Finland uh, has come out and said, uh, as of today, they're officially applying to be a NATO member. I can't imagine that them not being on a glide path. Would you support that? I would. I think they bring military capability. I think they would be a good asset. They shore up the uh, northeastern flank of, of the alliance, and they get us into the Arctic Circle. So, yes, I think they would be a net plus for the, um, uh, for the United States and for NATO, as would Sweden, by the way. Uh, as with Sweden, and I think that's a couple of days away. Now, the uh, Russians are on the record of, of saying uh, that that would be a direct threat to them uh, if we go ahead and do it, because it would be bringing NATO again right to another portion of their border. Would, how do you digest that? Well, of course, they're going to say that uh, Putin likes to do a lot of saber rattling and we should take him seriously. 
But, you know, as you and I discussed the other day, I'm a Reagan Republican, and, and Reagan called the Soviet Union the evil empire. I don't think this one under uh, Putin is any different, and we need to stand firm and stand tall, take a very Reagan-esque approach. Uh, they also uh, say that Medvedev has warned the West and us specifically to stop arming Ukraine or else there'll be some severe uh, repercussions. They're, of course, alluding every other day to some type of nuclear attack. How serious do you take that? Well, I, again, I think when, when anybody talks about nuclear weapons or weapons of mass destruction, we need to listen. We need to take it seriously. But we can't be spooked by it. And, uh, yeah, sure, we're providing Ukraine with the means to defend themselves. And Russia's done the, other, the, the, the same when the, when the tide was turned. They've supplied adversaries of ours in the past with weapons that were used against Americans. So, um, you know, uh, what's, what's good for one is good for the other. Mr. Secretary, uh, you were Secretary of the Army, and then General Mattis resigns when the president threatened to take our troops out of Syria. He said, I, he's, not rec- he's not conferring with me anymore. He's, he deserves a Secretary of Defense that, that understands him. Did you have hesitancy in taking the job? Uh, no, because, uh, look, I believe in public service. I believe in serving your country. I entered West Point at the age of 18. It was kind of always in my blood and served uh, on active duty for 10 years in war and peace and another 11 years in the Guard and Reserve. So I think when your nation calls, it's your duty to serve. Um, and, and that was kind of what, what took me into office in the first place. So you end up having troops in Syria. And how would you say – uh, what was the mission there in Syria? Do you think you guys accomplished it? I think we did. Look, I think we defied, defeated the ISIS, ISIS caliphate, and President Trump deserves credit for that. We, we knocked them down to nearly nothing and uh, defeated them as a, as a real fighting force. And it was important to keep troops on the ground to ensure that happened, that they didn't rise again. Uh, the second thing was it was important to keep an eye on Iran, which was transiting arms and people you know, through Syria uh, to, to, to threaten our friends in the region. And so I thought it was important to keep uh, keep some number of troops there uh, to keep a careful eye on them. And your your focus, your foreign policy, or the president's foreign policy, is so much different than this president's. They this they are Iran focused. They are allowing Iran to negotiate directly with Russia on our behalf to get back into an Iranian deal that you left that only has two years left. Can you wrap your head around that policy? No, I I don't. It's a mistake. I mean, I think uh, President Trump made the right call from getting out of the deal. It was a bad deal, the nuclear deal with uh, Iran. I, I like the maximum pressure campaign. Uh, it, you know, we couldn't get traction because we couldn't get enough allies on board to support us. Um, and, and look, I, I think it's going to be a stretch to think that President Biden's going to be able to bring back a plan that lengthens and strengthens it as he promised. And I, I look, I think all these deals should be taken to the Senate and let the Senate weigh in. But I think the reason why they won't do it is they know the answer is, is that the, the Senate will, would reject this type of agreement. So uh, look, we need to. This is why we need to bolster, continue bolstering the United States military, right. beef up our allies in the region as well, and make sure we're prepared to de- deter and, if necess- necessary, fight and win against Iran if it comes down to it. We're talking to Secretary Esper about his book, uh, Sacred Oath, Bring Us Inside. Really, uh, the last few years as Secretary of Defense that didn't end well. President basically tweeted out that he's uh, you're fired or to re- please resign. So I, that would get ticked me off, too, if I were you. But I want to go back to the area of contention. The one policy that Joe Biden claims to have kept in place that you guys had was pulling out of Afghanistan. He said he had no choice. Is that true? No, that's not true. Um, you know, he had a lot of choices. And, you know, I disagreed with the president at the end of uh, at the end of the administration on this as well. You know, uh, there was a push to withdraw all troops precipitously from Afghanistan. My view was. 
Well, first of all, I support the, the, the deal that was put on the table and negotiated by the State Department under Mike Pompeo. Uh, but I believe it needed to be conditions-based. And uh, so I was good going down to 4,500 troops. I thought we should stop there until the Taliban lived up to their end of the deal. And if they didn't, my view was we should use the two things that, that uh, they hated the most. One is our presence in the country with our allies, and number two is our ability to inflict violence upon them. So my recommendation was to stop there and pursue those two things and get them to come to the table and negotiate uh, uh, as they committed to in the agreement. That's what I would have recommended uh, President Biden do as well. Um, you know, he could have he could have paused the agreement as well, and uh, and and kind of put the pressure on the uh, on the Taliban. Instead, we had this terrible withdrawal that resulted in Americans being left in Afghanistan, that resulted in service members being killed, and really undermined our our stature on the world stage. So this is a, a question that I have everybody in the military and every, on both sides on. When a civilian leader, the president of the United States, gives you uh, a gives you an order that you do not feel comfortable with, do you resign or you make it work? And clearly, well, well, just before you even answer that, clearly General Milley and General McKenzie were not okay with this evacuation. At least they said they weren't. So in their testimony, they came forward and were asked, how did you embarrass the nation to the point where we left uh, with planes landing in the middle of the Taliban surrounded by terrorists after the death of 13 American service members? Listen. General Milley, it's your testimony that you recommended 2,500 troops uh, approximately stay in Afghanistan? Yes, my assessment was uh, back in the fall of 20, and it remained consistent throughout, that uh, we should keep a steady state of 2,500, and it could bounce up to 3,500, maybe something like that. Did you, uh, present, did you ever present that assessment personally to President Biden? I don't discuss exactly what uh, my conversations are with the sitting president in the Oval Office, but I can tell you what my personal opinion was, and I'm okay. always candid. General McKenzie, do you share that assessment? Senator, I do share that assessment. So they recommended something to the president. The president said no, and now they have to go explain it. What Did they do the right thing staying on the job? Well, look, I think that's a fundamental question. You know, my way of dealing with all of my bosses, to include, you know, uh, President Trump, was if he gave me an order, and he, he rarely gave orders, it just wasn't his style, was really I owed him my best recommendation, and I, I tended to go back and present him a variety of options to try and find something that was even better than what he might propose. So I think your first responsibility is, in terms of serving a president, is present him your honest advice and give him more options. You, only, you always want to give a president maneuver space, as we say in the military, to, to pick the best decision possible. And then at the end of the day, if he says, well, look, I, I disagree, I want you to do this, and then you have to kind of come to your own decision as to whether you can implement it or whether you would resign. And I, I always said that my hard line was I would never do anything illegal, immoral, or unethical. Uh, I, you know, So that's where, for me, that those were my lines. Everybody has their own lines. And, uh, and like I said, I think the, the, the withdrawal last summer was abysmal. It hurt us in so many ways not least of which is our young service members who were killed there on the ground in Afghanistan. Did you know Ghani was a spineless thief? Well, you know, I write in my book that uh, the problem with Afghanistan was lack of leadership beginning at the top, beginning at the political level. He was known to be corrupt. And uh, look, he flew, he fleed the capital before the Taliban really arrived in force. Contrast that to President Zelensky in Ukraine, who stayed with his people and fought from Kiev. It just is a contrast in leadership. And in war, so much comes down to leadership and morale. Would you have, do you believe, and you know, you're very candid, you don't love everything Trump did, you guys did not end on good terms. Do you believe Trump would have let that happen too? 
I don't know. I mean, it's 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 speculative, right? I, I you know, uh, President Trump uh, took a re- really tough, strong approach to these issues, and I, I don't know if faced with that si- si- uh, situation. I mean, look, I give him credit. He wanted to withdraw from Afghanistan. That was a campaign pledge that he wanted to he wanted to to live up to. There's a lot to be said for that. On the other hand, there are ways to do it and ways not to do it, and I I hope he would have heeded the advice of me and others to keep the conditions based and and really do it on a timeline that protected our people, ensured that Americans got out, and uh, and didn't diminish our stature in the world. What's your greatest frustration working for President Trump? Well, I, I think he was not – I think he had too many people in the White House that did not serve him well or presented outlandish ideas. And I think if, if he would uh, take in more counsel from his cabinet, right, whether it's Attorney General Barr, Mike Pompeo, myself, or others, I really think we could have uh, helped him implement his agenda – uh, more successfully. And, and of course, look, let's, I, I also think his speech was too coarse and divisive. I think the key for Republicans is we, we need leaders who will unify the country, bring people together. And as a Republican, and you, you know, Brian, I describe myself as a Reagan Republican, you've got to grow that base, right? You've got to grow the base that you can win elections. At the end of the day, we can't advance a, a traditional Republican agenda of lower taxes, a stronger military, border security, conservative judges, unless we win elections. And right now we're sitting here we don't we don't own the White House. We don't own the House. We don't own the Senate. Uh, and that's a problem. And uh, hopefully that will turn around here in, in the midterms. Um, when you do you think in retrospect, why is it like a military guy like Mike Pompeo, who you graduated with, will say, OK, he's a little different. General Keene, he's different. And I, I'll be able to I'll be able to work with this guy. Other people like General Kelly, uh, like uh, General Mattis. We'll look around and go, you know, I can't deal with this president. He's too unorthodox. He's, uh, he tempts to too volatile. He wants me to do too many things that are outside the lines. Why do you think you guys are all from the military background, but yet some were more flexible with the president than others? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there is something to be said for the president's un- unorthodox style. In some ways, it was successful. I mean, he pushed hard to, uh, to put a, a, a wall, a barrier on the southwest border. Uh, I supported that. I thought it was successful. I think it should be finished. Um, you know, in, in other areas, it, it went too far, like I said, about withdrawing from NATO. Uh, but people have different styles, personalities. Some work better than others. Um, and um, it just is what it is, Brian. And do you, do you expect him to, uh, to run again? Would you vote for him? I hope he doesn't. And uh, because, like I said, I think it's time to pass the torch to a new generation of Republican leaders, those who will uh, push forward the same Republican, conservative for me, uh, agenda. Uh, but we'll do so in a way that, again, will kind of uh, grow the base and win the elections. And uh, I'm not sure that Donald Trump can win. And for that reason, at least one reason, is I hope we see some some new faces or, or faces emerge in, in after the midterms when 2024 begins. And I hope the president will not run. I hope we'll kind of open that field up. Well, you know, Mark, I hope um, we could have you on as an expert because this Ukraine thing is unfolding. You know the area, you know the region, you know the players. Congratulations on your book, A Sacred Oath. Mark Esper, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. I look forward to joining you again sometime. Uh, that would be fantastic. Good luck with the book. one 408 I'll be back with your calls. And then at the bottom of the hour, David Avella. We're going to go inside some of these primary races as we get closer and closer to Georgia. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The 
the fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. My Republican colleagues say these programs help the working class and middle class people. That's they say that's why we have inflation. They're dead wrong. Under my predecessor, the great MAGA king, the deficit increased every single year he was president. What is he even talking about? Uh, David Abel is here. He's a GOPAC chairperson, GOP strategist. Always brings insight into these races, especially as the primaries get more and more intriguing. David, I'm shocked by this ultra-MAGA thing from last week. Now it's the MAGA king this week. He is trying to label somebody, give someone a label that's going to hurt them. What is the reality? The reality for the president is is he continues to grasp for something – to label his failed policies as anything other than what they are, which is his failed policies. And his biggest problem, Brian, is independent voters overwhelmingly see the economic problems we have right now as a direct result of Joe Biden's policies. And does MAGA not resonate with independents? Is that what this is about when you guys look at the pie charts and the bar graphs? Uh, People were pretty uh, pleased when we had lower taxes and regulations and a full – above all energy policy that had economic activity booming. And uh, they're not feeling it now when, uh, you know, certainly you hear about gas prices, but that trickles down. I mean, you think about the higher grocery bills that people are paying. Uh, A farmer was uh, just yesterday uh, sharing with, you know, his product, melons, was costing in the stores 4 to $5 last year. It's costing him $7 to get it to then take it to – uh, the grocery store. So you're going to look at melons this summer being eight, nine dollars, right? Or or the supermarket goes, I don't want it. Then they are right. really in trouble. That's right. And then when you the truck drivers because of the diesel uh, prices, it costs more. And then John Castamatidis, who owns refineries, was saying that what he's seeing now with diesel, there might be rationing this mm. summer. Can you imagine that? You can't find baby food. You can't get uh, diesel for for trucks. It's incredible. Um, David, sit right there. This is going to be a short segment. We've got a longer one just around the bend because we've got to talk about Pennsylvania. Absolutely. And more. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mehmet Oz, Dr. Oz, and Dave McCormick, get this now, they've spent a combined $50 million. Kathy Barnett, up until a week ago, had spent a grand total of 137000 and yet she's within striking distance. Oz and McCormick have done such an effective job beating up on each other that they've created this third lane for Kathy Barnett, and she could pull it off. We really don't know. Is that true? Uh, let's see what David Avella says. He's a GOPAC chairperson, GOP strategist. Uh, what do you think about what Michael Smirkanish said? Uh, it's uh, spot on. And if we knew who was going to win, Brian, we'd be out in Vegas making a lot of money. But I heard that Mitch McConnell and company who got burned, I think it was 2012, about candidates that were probably not good for the general, good for the primary. Uh, Kathy Barnett might be an example of one of them. She is, uh, by the Fox News poll, certainly making a move and uh, as uh, – was said that the fight between Oz and McCormick have opened up a lane. Now, is that enough? Uh, We're going to find out here next Tuesday. Here is the key. We nominate Oz or McCormick, uh, or we'll see with Barnett, 
we're going to win Pennsylvania. Why? Blue-collar Democrats are not going to fall in line with the progressive lieutenant governor, Fetterman, who the Democrats are going to nominate. They had a choice between an ultra-progressive or a more moderate Connor Lamb. They're going to nominate Fetterman. And in this environment where uh, economic concerns, crime concerns are at the top and health care concerns are all at the green top energy, of voters' minds. Uh, green energy and, what, and how ineffective it is in a time of crisis. That's right. Uh, it, it's it's implausible to think that Republicans will lose Pennsylvania. And plus, I think there's I, I Kathy Barnett's been on a lot with us. Seems good, but the other two are unbelievably qualified. Very qualified. Yeah, I mean, this is you look at either one of them. Even if you're a Democrat, you can't say, "Well, how do they get in?" I mean, this is these are two people who've had tremendous careers, Doctor Oz TV and medical, and he's still a practicing doctor. And then you Dave McCormick. This guy's a West Point grad, served in the first Persian Gulf uh, War, serves at, the, at the, one of the most tumultuous times in American history under uh, the Secretary of Treasury, as the, sec- the Undersecretary of Treasury, when the market collapsed. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and becomes CEO of one of the most successful venture capitalist firm in the, in the country. So, I mean, it's pretty qualified. It is. Uh, you think about a year ago, Brian, we would have said, gosh, Republicans, we have to hold Pennsylvania, Ohio, North Carolina, Wisconsin. And now we're going to get through primaries next week. And J.D. Vance is going to win that race in Ohio uh, this Over fall. Tim Ryan. Over Tim Ryan. Blue collar, again, another state where blue-collar Democrats are voting Republican, not uh, Democrat, uh, over the last couple cycles. Pennsylvania, uh, McCormick and Oz, who I know the most about, uh, as with most voters, just learning about Kathy. Uh, you know, we, we're in a strong position there. North Carolina, Ted Budd is in position to win that North Carolina race, and we'll, we'll be— uh, over McCrory. Over McCrory. We'll win that race and put us in a good position. Now, Wisconsin, we got an incumbent, uh, Senator Johnson. So we've gone from worrying a lot about defense, and that's what you could take the eye off the ball, and we've got to do what we got to do to win. But now we're back to being on offense. Georgia, Nevada, uh, Arizona, places where we can go pick up seats this Using fall. New Hampshire? Or you New Hampshire. Like, uh, but do you like because no? See, we were thinking as at GoPack, you don't want to. You're not doing what Trump's doing, and that's picking a candidate. You're kind of sitting back, well, right? In many of the races, we are getting involved more on the House side in primaries. Yeah. Um, but uh, ultimately, to your point, it's about making sure we have the resources for the general to elect our Republican nominees. Right. Uh, so, a couple of things in North Carolina, Ted Budd is somebody the president elevated, mm-hmm. uh, no doubt about it. If he stayed out of it. When you look at President Trump as of right now, before we get to Georgia, where he's probably going to get uh, thumped at the governor's race, he's about 42 or 43 races that he picks. Some were easy and some weren't, like J.D. Vance in particular. Where, how would you gauge the power of the president right now? Uh, it's, it's an important endorsement, except when it's not, which goes to uh, the candidates matter. You know, the, the president's endorsement gives you a platform to build on to go win an election. But if you're a bad candidate or you're a bad candidate who runs a bad campaign, you're not going to – the endorsement in itself is not going to get you over the top, as we saw in Nebraska, as we're going to see in Georgia when uh, Governor Kemp beats uh, Senator Perdue. Uh, the, if you're running in a primary, you'd rather have the endorsement than not. But it's not a guarantee for victory. I want to go back to Pennsylvania for a second. Michael Smirconish, who I really respect, he's got a great radio show too. This is what he said about the endorsement of Dr. Oz, which is, by the way, split Trump world. Yeah. I mean, you have Hope Hicks on one yeah. side and you have Ted Cruz on the other side, work with McCormick against the president, and Pompeo working with McCormick. 
Uh, cut 36. I'm sure that when all is said and done and the dust settles, people will want to read into this. What does it mean for Donald Trump? I think that former President Trump gave a boost to Oz that without Trump, Oz was fading and it would have been McCormick. I don't think in the end it really comes down to the Trump endorsement. He makes Oz more of a contender than he would have been. Your thoughts? It goes to what I just said. He gives you the platform to uh, build on to ultimately go on and, and win a race. And, and Oz got it. Now he needs to finish. If for him to be the nominee, he's going to have to finish this race and convince you know enough voters to cast him, uh, cast a vote for him. When people come up to you and say, why are Republicans so up? Why do they look in position to be so successful? What are the issues? Is it the failure of the Biden administration? Um do you, what do, you th- do you think it's regret about some of the Trump initiatives, or do you think it's just a cyclical thing? Because traditionally the, the party that wins the White House takes a pounding in the midterms. There is no question it is President Biden who is driving this election. And it started with, his failure, with the failure in Afghanistan, which made many voters, particularly independents, question was he up for the job. He uh, defied all his generals in doing this. That's right. And now, now you go to... Uh, inflation in the economy uh, has uh, people worried about making uh, ends meet. You've got crime on the rise. You've got health care as a growing concern. I mean, not enough focus is put on this, but the uh, health care that people didn't take care of during COVID that now is coming back that, you know, they're they're sicker, they're, they're in worse shape, um, that we're going to have that health care issue to deal with. And then the education issue where uh, – more than just parents want to have a say in their education, mm-hmm. it is the lost time that so many that the children now we have school districts that are lowering testing standards so children can pass the test because they're so far behind in the basics. So we're watching this ultra MAGA term flow out of the Democratic circles. We're also watching a big push on Rick Scott's eleven point plan if we get power in the Senate, not endorsed by Mitch McConnell. Is it endorsed by David Avella? Did you look at these 11 points and say that's a good blueprint for Republicans? I've not looked at uh, the plan in full. The one that most uh, gets the attention, obviously, is making everyone uh, pay something in taxes. And certainly it has been a long tradition. We're trying to lower people's taxes. We should instead want an economy that brings the lower wage earners up so that they have to pay taxes because they're in a higher tax bracket. Economic growth is the key uh, to bringing more revenue in for uh, to pay for vital government programs. Uh, and many states would bristle at that because they're trying to get rid of their income tax. Why now would we at the federal level want to try to impose more of a federal uh, income tax? I think his tax? point was in getting to expand on it yesterday or here on this show. He said a lot of people are on welfare social programs. He wants them to get to work, and then you'll pay income taxes off your paycheck no matter how big, no matter how small, and 50 percent of the country not paying anything. Well, it- that, that's the great thing is that ideas are being debated on the Republican side. But Mitch whereas, McConnell said bad well, move politically. Uh, that's OK. You can have uh, disagreements in the Republican Party versus what are you getting out of the Democratic Party, which is failure. And these these absurd labels, ultra MAGA, what does that mean? What does that even mean? Right. Uh, I want you to hear what Britt Hume said about what Joe Biden could be doing here. Cut three. Well, I think he's trying to rev up uh, the voters in his own party and trying to scare people. Broadly speaking, the MAGA movement, as it is associated with Donald Trump, isn't ter- terrifically popular with a broad majority of Americans. 
um, and it certainly isn't popular with his base. Uh, he obviously has reasons to worry mm -hmm. about whether his base will be there for him this fall with things going so badly and people having such grave doubts about him even from within his own ranks. So I think that's what that is about. I don't think it's, there's any chance it's going to work. His biggest challenge, uh, Brian, is not enthusiasm, it's anger. It is anger within the Democratic base amongst moderates who now realize that Joe Biden is not a moderate and is pushing the progressive agenda. So you have the anger of those voters. And then you have the anger of progressives who think he's not doing enough. We haven't gotten rid of enough college debt yet. We haven't, got, we haven't raised taxes enough. We're still using oil and gas. We're still using oil Cows and gas. Cows are still alive. Yes, that's right. And that is the challenge the Democrats face, but can't happen to a better party. So I won't make you hear the whole soundbite, but Roe v. Wade is now a big issue after the leak of last week and now the protest outside the Supreme Court Justice's house as an American. I'm not comfortable with that. But forget about the vote uh, because it's going to be in front of Democrats' house next. Mm -hmm. Do I want to hear that they're at Jen Psaki's house? That's where they're going to be heading because Republicans, the same thing happened with cancel culture. Oh, they're just going to cancel the bad guys that are out there. Well, it turns out Al Franken gets blown up and all these other people get canceled. Uh, and they're still feeling the ripple effects around the world, around the country. Here's Kamala Harris on the fact is yesterday they were unable to get 60 votes to codify, not Roe v. Wade, but some uh, abortion on demand policy. Cut 16. And let's be clear, the majority of the American people believe in defending a woman's right, her choice to decide what happens to her own body. And this vote clearly suggests that the Senate is not where the majority of Americans are on this issue. It also makes clear that a priority for all who care about this issue, a priority should be to elect pro-choice leaders. So they want to make this an election issue. Senator Schumer basically said it yesterday. Does it worry you, David Avella, as somebody with Go, the chairman of GOPAC? Uh, there are certainly voters who care very strongly about this. Never has this issue ranked um, in, in, within the ranks that it would decide uh, elections as much as economic issues, as much as health care issues, as much as foreign policy issues. Uh, will it have impact in some races? It, it could. There's no question about it. Um, but overall, uh, there are bigger issues driving votes. Um, let me add one thing, if I may. Uh, you mentioned Jen Psaki. Why is there not an ethics investigation about a future MSNBC employee standing in, at the podium talking as the mouthpiece for the president of the United States? Because she does not admit she has the job yet. That's basically a joke. You know she's going there right away to probably get her own show. It's unbelievable. It, it is It is outrageous. She's had the job for two months after we've known she's gone there, but she hasn't formally done it. So I want you to hear this bizarre soundbite. Uh, con I don't mean to lean the witness, but it's bizarre to me. Uh, <laughs> Congresswoman Katie Porter of California was asked about inflation and abortion. She put them both together. Well, I don't think they compare. I think they actually reinforce each other. So the fact that things like inflation can happen and it be can become more expensive to feed your kids and to fuel your car um, is exactly why people need to be able to be in charge of how many mouths they're going to have to feed. So I think the fact that we're seeing this jump in expenses, um, that we're seeing people having to pay more in the grocery store, pay more at the pump, pay more for housing, is a reason that people are saying, 
I need to be able to make my own decisions about when and if to start a family. So I don't think we're going to see them. I don't think it's like about comparing them or contrasting them. I think they reinforce for people just how big of a responsibility it is to take care of a family. So do you, do you, do you follow that line of thought? <laughs> I'm confident that most Americans would not agree <laughs> with that viewpoint. And uh, I, where I would agree with her, it, it is a lot to start a family. Uh, but uh, and this administration's not making it any easier by uh, making energy costs go up, which makes every other part right. of American life get more expensive. Eighty four percent of Americans say they're cutting back on some key purchases. Uh, the University of Pennsylvania says it's costing families on average three hundred dollars a month. I imagine it's even more. Uh, everything from uh, plane tickets up thirty three percent, fuel oil up eighty eight percent, hotels twenty two percent. Things like gas, 44%, and I think natural gas, almost 200%. So all this stuff is real. These numbers work. And I don't think, say, in the Putin price hike or ultra MAGA is going to make people feel any better. Finally, when it comes to baby formula, if I'm the president, I'm sitting over there in, in front of that Abbott warehouse, and I'm demanding the FBA give me the clearance in, expedition, in expedited form to get that baby formula out of that building and onto the shelves. That should be the emergency. We saw uh, with the COVID vaccine a president who was determined to get it out and to make sure it was tested properly uh, can. But quickly. And quickly uh, what it can do with the bureaucracy. And, and this administration is not willing to do that. Yeah, it's ba- but baby formula. I, You're not talking about a luxury item. I, I get it. <laughs> All right. David, great to see you. Great seeing uh, you. Chairman of GOPAC, I know you're extremely busy. Uh, you don't make predictions on primaries, but I know, you, I know you'll make predictions at other times when we get through this season. Uh, and, of course, everyone's looking at Tuesday and then Georgia right after. David Avella, thanks so much. Thank you. We're going to come back with some phone calls in just a moment. You'll see the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest-growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Just got to remind you, you got Saturday at 8 o'clock. I want everyone to watch One Nation. Got great roster of guests, including Tyrus will be on with Greg Gutfeld. You know Tyrus uh, from the Gutfeld Show. You know him, uh, came out in wrestling. You probably don't know much about him, but you will if you pick up his book. But how he met Gutfeld and how he ends up being a Fox News contributor uh, really a great story. It's the first time they got to be telling the story uh, to somebody else, even though it came to life in his book. So uh, we'll have that on amongst uh, Katie Pavlich. And we're going to take a look at the name, image, and likeness, NIL. What's the big deal? It changes college sports entirely. That means I'm a freshman. I want to go to the University of Nebraska. It turns out a car dealership is, has Lamborghinis. If I go to Nebraska, it just turns out during the year I can have a Lamborghini. It's totally Legal. I could go sign pictures and footballs at the Lamborghini sales shop. I could go to Dick's Sporting Goods and be signed locally. I could go get my own deals done. Now, I do think college sports athletes to a degree should be controlled and paid. I'm not sure that this is it. Can you imagine how much Tim Tebow would have made had he been able to cash in on his likeness? I mean, to me, uh, Johnny Manziel got in trouble for signing autographs in the summer signing autographs of himself while they sell his uniform at the bookshop and he doesn't get a dime. So things have changed, but we've overcorrected. We're going to look at that world because I think it's 
It's really changing all of college sports entirely. So uh, those are some of the things we're going to be looking at on Sunday, on on Saturday, too. And also, uh, congratulations to 77 WABC. I was able to go to a big event with Allison last night. They celebrated their rocket, their rocket rise in the number one market in the country. And they've done it through this, this family-first uh, management style. So we were able to go last night, and you see this, the great lineup they have from uh, Bill O'Reilly to Greg Kelly to Bernie and Sid in the morning, of course, and Rita Cosby at night and Mark Levin. They put together a great local and national lineup in Curtis Sliwa. Um, and uh, Bo Snurdly, and it's really very impressive uh, what's been going on. But it's not, not easy to make it in radio these days, and they're doing it. And so many other stations, are, it's either uh, live or die, because it is the golden age of audio. You just got to make sure people are listening to you. So if you want to keep in touch with me, and I do, you, I know you do, go to BrianKilme.com. Just click on contact. I'll get your email. Number two, if you want any of my books, if you care about history and the winning the war in history, from the President and Freedom Fighter to Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, to Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans, to Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, to George Washington's Secret Six. It's there. And if you want, I could customize it and send it. It's all there in the little box. Brian Kilmeade Show. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.